Hi everyone, this is Yen, and welcome to Growth and Failure. This show highlights extraordinary people that inspire and motivate me to level up. I'll have conversations with a wide range of profiles, from entrepreneurs and athletes, investors to educators, you name it. I love hearing people's different journeys. For me, the biggest lessons learned and opportunities to grow come from the struggle, the pain, the defeat. And I hope hearing these stories inspire you to not fear that messy middle or failure, but rather motivates you to reflect, to keep learning, and ultimately to keep growing. For more information, please visit growthandfailure.com for more updates, and please write a review if you can. They really do help other people find this show. Thanks for listening. This is the story of Dr. Sonia Gupta, founder of Aloha Bright, practicing dentist for the last 15 plus years, and overall, one of the kindest human beings I've ever met. I'm so grateful that a local friend actually reconnected me to Sonia because she was one of my favorite people in college. First day I met her was in the dorms. We were on the same floor and it was unit two, Ehrman Hall, go Bears. And I remember she radiated such positivity even then 20 plus years ago. And so it was a real treat to reconnect. I wasn't surprised of all the world travel she did, all of the commitment to service that she has. And more recently, she started a line of dental care products for her son that ended up getting so wildly popular because the ingredients were all natural and really high quality, which I'm gonna scoop up (laughs) for myself. I left the conversation so inspired because of the way that Sonia lives her life, which is filled with positivity, less sugar than mine, (laughs) and also just a mission to help. And so I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. It made me really reevaluate my dental care needs, my physical fitness, what my nutrition is, and overall my lifestyle. But I'm so grateful that she shared her story, and I hope you enjoy. Hi, Sonia. Welcome to the show. Hi, Ian. Good to see you. So good to see you. I have so many questions to ask you, and I'm so delighted that we reconnected. So thank you so much to Sarkashev for somehow serendipitously reconnecting us after all these years. But you know the format of the show. I'd love to talk all about Aloha Bright and your dental practice and all the amazing things in Hawaii. But before we do, let's rewind back all the way to your baby molar years and share with our (laughs) listeners where you grew up and what your childhood was like. Oh, yeah. Okay. So my parents immigrated from India. My dad was doing his PhD in chemical engineering at Queens. So he got the golden ticket out of India to Canada. And so we're all born there, the kids. And then he was like, this is too cold. And so he had a dream of moving to California. So then we moved to California and got a home. And that's where I grew up with this awesome chemistry lab in our house that I loved. You know, funny, I just finished reading Lessons in Chemistry and literally, you know, she built this chemistry lab in her home and it was a super fun read if you haven't read it. That, oh my gosh, that is the best book ever. It just hits so many chords with me, you know, oh, just so many pivoting moments and rowing. I rode at Cal and just rowing on that beautiful water in the morning. Oh, that book was so good. And I know it's in, it's a TV series, but I don't want to watch it because I enjoyed the book so much and I don't want to change the perspective of it with different actors and whatnot. I just want my fantasy to take those characters and stay in my head. So I just love that book. When you're talking about like the chemical engineering part, I'm like, oh, the tinkering and the conversations that you and your family must have had would have been so fun. 
Oh, so, and still is, still is. So it's so, so great. Well, you mentioned Cal and that's where we met 20 plus years ago. I always mm -hmm. love to hear how people chose the colors they went to and why. And what I've realized after five years of these interviews is here's these wildly successful people and you assume that they were so driven, they knew what they wanted to do in college and they set off in their 20s with this clear path. And then you find that wasn't the case at all, but it kind of started in college. And so I'm curious, how did you choose Cal? Oh, that's a great question. So I just love chemistry. I grew up with chemistry all around. I was obsessed with chemistry, understanding how it's in the world around us and surrounds us. And so I wanted to go into chemical engineering. I chose Cal because I got in and it was my dream school. It was the number one chemical engineering school in the USA. I was an out of state student because we had moved to South Carolina. So I thought, oh, there's no way I'm ever going to get in, but I'm going to apply because it's my dream. That's why I went there. I didn't know much. I mean, my sister and brother went to Cal too. So I'd been there before. It wasn't really a lifestyle choice. It was very much just an academic choice. Incredible. How did you guys end up in South Carolina? My dad was working there. Yeah. Working on a power plant or chemical engineering kind of plant in South Carolina. Amazing. So here you go. Enter Cal. Go Bears. And you have this vision of being a chemi major. And here you are then in Hawaii as a dentist. <laughs> and so how did that happen? So you're a chemi major. Was that what you ended up graduating with? How can I make this story short as possible? <laughs> so pretty much I was used to having a 4.0, being on the dean's list, being on honor roll. And end of my second year, I almost failed out of MATLAB. I swear all of these people in my class had been programming since they're two years old and I had never programmed in my life. I didn't know what it was. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is the first time I'm gonna have like an F on my transcript. I couldn't handle it. So like to your point about growth from failure, I just freaked out and I dropped the class and you couldn't finish chemical engineering without <laughs> finishing that class. So I go, okay, I'm, I'll get back to it. I'll figure it out. A friend had shown me a flyer for Operation Smile and I'd seen these pictures of these kids with cleft lips and palettes. And I was just like, that's what I want to do with my life. I just figured out, I guess I have to go to dental school now. <laughs> So I switched to biology at that point, and I never really wanted to be a dentist. I just wanted to go on missions and do cleft lips and palates. Incredible. And literally, that's what you did. So then you switched to bio, and then you went to dental school. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I switched to bio. I graduated with bio and econ. My brother was in finance and economics. My sister went to UCSF for medicine. So maybe it was a combination of both of their influences. I'm not really sure. But um, I did some work in like the investments world and didn't want to wake up and put a suit on every day and stare at a computer screen and stocks. <laughs> I just wanted to work directly with people. So I went to South America, volunteered with some clinics. I got into Operation Smile when I was in college still and volunteered with Operation Smile in Trujillo, Peru. Incredible. That, that was one of life's best moments. It was just amazing. Wait, so from flyer to actually volunteering for Operation Smile, what was that time period? God, I think it was like a few years, but I just had this vision in my head. Like, I want to go work with these people. And I was way too young. At that time, they didn't take college students, but I just made connections, found people, emailed 
or did email exist yet? Yeah, I think yeah. it did. Yeah, I just found people involved and convinced this one dentist in Peru to let me come on a mission with them. And I got to like watch all their surgeries. And I was working with a child life specialist. She would prepare all the kids for surgery and show them plastic needles and plastic blood pressure cuffs and monitors. I spent a lot of time with her and that was very impactful. And it affects me now to my day in doing dentistry and hospital dentistry and how to prep a child to be comfortable with what they're about to go through if we're operating. Incredible. So when you left Cal, because we graduated in 02, but then when I moved to New York, we lost touch. Did you go straight from Cal to UCSF? I think I took a year off and went back to South America. And so I was volunteering in low-income dental clinics, volunteering at some schools and some orphanages and just kind of roamed around South America for a bit and wanted to brush up on my Spanish because my ultimate goal was to work with like the community and the local community, the immigrant population. So I really wanted to be fluent in Spanish so I could communicate with my patients because at undergrad, I had worked at that, um, what was that called? The Berkeley Free Clinic. And a lot of our patients spoke Spanish and I didn't know Spanish as well back then. So I really wanted to be fluent. Well, you mentioned travels that changed your life and your perspective, and you get a sense of the service that you feel is your North Star. Have you always been that way? Was it college that really, I mean, I saw the Operation Smile Flyers too, and you know, I love community service. I'm part of Rotary and like AFIO at Cal. I saw the same flyer. I'm like, okay, that's a great flyer. Like, It didn't change my life in terms of, yes, I'm going to commit my life to both dentistry and service and all that. Where did that come from? I think that came from my mom. She has a really soft heart. She's very entrepreneurial and she has the softest, sweetest heart. And she had a couple friends with kids with special needs. And she would have us go to their house to spend time with them and be their friend because like a lot of the kids wouldn't want to hang out with them. And I remember, you know, at the time, sometimes I felt like I was dragged, but I never showed that emotion. I wanted to just be happy and I think we volunteered a lot just at different community events and with kids and just how my mom would invite everybody into the home for me. She was just very embracing of all people, regardless of background or status, just anything like that. And I think it really came from my mom just loving all people. Oh, that's yeah. so beautiful. As as you know, we're both moms and it's you never know what you do that impacts them, right? My kids are seven and 10, and I hope that they have the same impression of that that you have from your mom in hindsight, right? Like, how beautiful is that? That's incredible. Right? Like, gosh, I always tell my mom, like, I hope I'm as sweet as you. I hope I'm as good of a mom as you. She's she's just amazing. Incredible. Well, I'm going to ask for Mrs. Gupta on the show next, so don't worry. I'm, I'm on it. <laughs> But going back to you, I mean, you've traveled the world. What did you, how did your travels inspire you professionally and personally? Because the first Peru trip sounds really fantastic. It seems like everywhere you went, the people, the, the way that they lived really changed your life. And so I'd love to just hear some of those tidbits. Yeah, I think as a kid, I remember I'd spin the globe and like pretend I was in different countries, but like my parents couldn't afford to go on a vacation or a holiday. So I think I had that dream of seeing the world. So that started kind of young. And then I had a close friend, Pam, in dental school, and we really wanted to go on a mission together to Africa. So we wrote a grant through the medical school and to do an oral health study. And that had such a great impact. First of all, their diets 
are so clean, right? They don't eat any of the garbage that we eat. Like nothing was prepackaged. Everything was fresh. Their teeth were just amazing. Like they had great bone, great teeth, great enamel, and no, like almost no decay. And I think just, I mean, it went back to how my mom raised us with fresh fruits and vegetables, fresh foods. No, we didn't even have medicine in the house. I don't think we had a Tylenol in the house. Everything was like Indian herbs and, you know, her concoctions of how to heal naturally. So then I saw that in practice when we went out in the bush. And I remember there was one village that Coca-Cola had gone access to. And there it's called a DMFT ratio. It's decayed, missing, filled teeth. So we were taking a survey of how many decayed, missing, filled teeth that these kids had. And in that one village that had access to these sodas and things, their teeth were just so much worse. It was so awful and so sad because when they didn't have access to all of these refined sugars and carbonated drinks and the garbage that we consume, it really affected their oral health and their overall health. We often forget that like our teeth are, our teeth and our mucosa, our mouth is a sign of what's going on in the rest of our body. It's just what we see visually, but it's all connected. Also what they used, you know, the majority of the villages had amazing teeth. A lot of it was, I think from diet, they drank a lot of like blood and milk. That was like a staple for them. And they brushed their teeth with what's called an umswaki. So it's a branch of an acacia tree. So they would break off the branch and rub off the bristles to make a toothbrush out of it. And it has natural antiseptic properties. And my mom actually grew up brushing with the same thing. But in India, it was a twig from a tree. It was called a datun. And they would, my mom had never had a cavity growing up. They had a great diet and she brushed with the same kind of thing that they used in Africa. And they're fresh, natural antiseptic, natural antibacterial. You know, I don't think loss existed, but maybe it didn't matter as much because their diet was so clean. I really, I think that helped me like personally, professionally, just in every way, seeing that it all starts with like your diet, your life habits, your choices, what you're drinking, consuming, and then also how you can clean your teeth pretty simply, pretty naturally. I think we tend to overcomplicate it. And I don't know if that comes from profit or marketing or what, but like all of this stuff that we have, this huge armamentarium for teeth, I don't know if it's all necessary because really if we had a pretty clean diet, would we be okay with just brushing with the twig from the acacia tree? Mm -hmm. I don't know. But. Oh my gosh, I am so grateful I asked that question. I didn't realize how much it would unlock in terms of what you learned and the ingredients and the culture and that lifestyle. Oh yeah, and it's not just like Africa and India. I mean, we went to like Ecuador, Peru, Burma, so many Philippines, went all over the Philippines. And it was just the same thing over and over. And you'd see the differences in the very remote populations versus the populations that had more access to like a Western style diet, more packaged food, more refined food. The differences were clear as day. Incredible. So then you go back to UCSF at dental school. What did you do with these findings? I'm sure it wasn't so surprising or shocking and it just confirmed what you thought, but maybe the revelation or the discoveries of how healthy a lot of these unprocessed foods or the, the areas that didn't have unprocessed foods and really whole nutrient-dense foods. What did you do with that information? Well, if I rewind to Berkeley, actually, I wanted to go into food science. That was one of the things that I was really interested in was food science. So at UCSF, I think I wanted to find a way to interweave everything. And so, well, the first thing I did, the missions were so good for me to see how people live well with so little and so simply. So I made a commitment to myself to go on one mission per year. 
overseas to somewhere with like no electricity or running water, just somewhere more impoverished. So I can just be more grounded, stay grounded because I saw that going to all these dental meetings, I didn't even understand that dentistry can be very lucrative and going into dental school. I didn't realize that. And so I said, okay, I want to keep myself grounded. I don't want to get like lost in the clouds of all of this financial and, you know, all of that stuff. That was a big way that it impacted me and how it influenced like career wise. I think um, diet wise, what I took from the missions and like practices was just keep it simple. You know, when I talk to patients, keep it simple, you know, and always go back to their diet instead of just like over medicating and over treating have a real conversation about diet and habits before just treating all of the problems. I've taken that with me forever. And all of my appointments are usually longer than normal. Like I worked in a bigger clinic for a little bit of time and I just didn't like it because I didn't have enough time to really talk to my patients. So the way I set up my practice was so that I wasn't insurance-based. I didn't have to deal with just like pumping through patients and volume. And I could really take the time to listen and educate. And then I ended up working with more special needs and, you know, more complicated kind of medical situations and maybe even just psychiatric backgrounds, like fears of the dentist, maybe bad things that happened in the dental chair. So just working with people where I could take the time to listen. And I just love that. That's beautiful. Well, for those who don't know, Sonia is based in Hawaii. So if you're looking for amazing dentistry in Hawaii, that's where she is. It, the way you're describing it is so beautiful, but also almost it's impractical as we know it, right? You go to a doctor or a dentist and it's like fast, 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 and it's treatment. There's no talk about prevention. It's like so different from every hospital or dentistry experience I've ever had. It's just treatment-based. <laughs> it's like it should change. Like it should be about prevention and education, but we're so used to transactions and, pay, and speed and treatment versus preventative care, sadly. Right. And actually the first dental visit for the baby or the child, you know, first dental visit, the first birthday is supposed to be just like a counseling session, like information counseling and all about diet, nutrition, hygiene habits. And I just, I love those visits because you can speak to parents before the problems start, prevent them before they arise. Mm -hmm. Like show pictures, videos, things that I've seen to show I'm not crazy. I'm not just making this up to scare you. I don't want to scare you. It's just what I've seen and what happens. And it's not your fault. You know, I hear a lot of like, oh, well, I just have bad genetics or my husband has bad genetics or, oh gosh, well, grandma comes over and gives them the candy. Like it's okay. There's no blame, but their enamel looks pretty good. And there's a lot that we can do to prevent. And so if you can talk a lot about prevention, a lot of times we can prepare them to prevent the problem before it happens. A lot of that comes from just seeing people on medical missions and the experience that I've seen there of working on prevention and diet. I love it. Well, I, I want to talk about Aloha Bright, but before I do, selfishly, I'll ask one parental question <laughs> as it relates to this. I have a seven and a 10 year old and then we've gone to the dentist's office and there's a few cavities that go on. And it's one of those that I'm just used to it. Every kid has cavities type thing until you mentioned that your mom never had cavities and people in Africa that you treated didn't have cavities because it's so healthy and their animal's healthy and their bone density is healthy. How do you marry kind of the Western culture and the diet and the lifestyle and that? Parents, I'm sure they ask you, was a little bit of candy okay or a little bit of this? What do you describe? And I know this is only an hour podcast, but how do you describe and marry the two if it's best efforts possible, eat the most nutrient-dense, healthy food? Is a handful of M&Ms and Skittles okay? Like, how do you think about that in a pragmatic way? 
so to each their own, right? And I just try to have no judgment, but I tell everybody education and moderation. My mom always taught me everything in moderation, including moderation, right? So if you want to have the MMs and you know the potential repercussions, at least educate yourself. So you know, what can you do after you have them all? Like, for example, it's better to eat them all at once than to have one every hour per day. I compare it to like driving through mud. So every time you're eating those M&Ms, you're driving through mud and you got to hose your car off again. And then if you want to drive through mud again, you got to hose it off again, or it's going to stick like a barnacle. Same thing with sugars and bacteria. And then your teeth rot out. Same as your car would get destroyed, right? If you never rinse it off. So I think it's just moderation. You know, some people can't make those diets. There's too many other influences in the home or whatever is going on, but do the best you can. And at least I tell parents, like I always give them something like this. And I say, read the ingredients, like look at these cans. Like, did you know, I think kids should have more than 10 grams of sugar per day. APD recommends, I think like 24 or something, but that's like two to 18 years old. So for a toddler, a little one, I just put it at 10 grams. This can right here has 37 grams of sugar. I mean, it's iced tea, 37 grams. That's more grams of sugar than me and you should consume in an entire 24 hour period. You know, it's just too much. And little kids are drinking this like on the soccer field when they're hot, you know, these kinds of little things, the little pouches, Mm -hmm. a lot of folks like concentrate, fruit concentrate. That concentrate is not that far from high fructose corn syrup. Even though it's like apple concentrate, once Mm -hmm. it's spun down into concentrate, it's more like a glucose syrup. So it's like a whole one hour podcast of the science of sugar metabolism and all of that. But they're on my Instagram videos. I kind of geek out on the sugars and all of that. Oh, and I'll definitely link your Instagram and social media links because I it's like an injection of positivity watching your channels because it, you have this like radiant smile and you're just it's so positive. I love it. To summarize for those listening and really just for me, for me, I would say it's almost impossible to not give my kids some candy. But if I do better to have them eat it faster than slowly throughout the day. And if they do brush her and rinse because that's healthy or it's healthier. Water, 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 water all day. Yeah. And how many grams of sugar would you recommend? I know you're not a medical doctor, but would you say is within what you think is best? I personally limit, try when it's not a birthday party, right? Um, to 10 grams per day. And my son since two years old has been reading labels. Now he can teach it. And so your kids can learn. They're so, so smart. So educating them, I think that's the biggest thing. Like my mom gave my son something and he said, mommy, nani, this is just too sweet. Can you make it sugar-free? So like he's understanding the effects of a high sugar diet. So kids are smart. They'll get it. A lot of times, sometimes I forget the parents. I don't talk to the parents. I just talk to the kids because the kids get it. And that's where you can have really positive change. Sometimes us, we're older. It's like we're so set in our ways. We're, right. I'm not saying we're hopeless, but I think it's a lot harder to change adult habits than kids' habits. And when we would go and talk to elementary schools, we'd go with the Rotary program to all the schools. Oh, my gosh, the kids learn so much. And we'd come back again, and they would rattle off everything we taught them and really had an influence on their life, which was so awesome. Incredible. How do you... It's easier to talk to kids than parents. What do you do about the, let's call it 10-year-old, 12-year-old that has been used to this, call it Western diet with candy and sugars for a while, but is open to learning, but their taste buds have evolved to crave that sugar or that candy or the sweetened cakes, desserts type thing? 
sugar is so addictive. There's these studies showing it's more addictive than cocaine. And there's formulas with sugar in them. So they create these addictions so, so young. So I think, you know, like any addiction, I think weaning them off. I think it's hard to go cold, cold turkey. Like I've done some videos on Instagram just answering these exact questions. Like, should we use sugar and alcohol? Should we use like other sweeteners? Should we use honey? I mean, that's like a whole other topic to dive into. But I think the overall thing is if you can start just tapering it down, educating, okay, let's start at 20 grams. Honey, we want the goal of 10 grams per day, but let's try to get it down to 25 grams per day. If you want that candy, fine, but let's stay away from sticky candy. Maybe like a little piece of dark chocolate with really low sugar, or I make my own chocolate from cacao, but not everybody wants to do that. At least stay away from the sticky ones. All the fruit snacks, whether they're made from real fruit or vitamins, whatever, they're all garbage. If it's sticky, it's essentially garbage. Like just stay away from all the sticky anything. You know, I know some vitamins are sticky if you can get them in like a drop form or something else or a tablet, like even Flintstones is better than the sticky vitamins, in my opinion. I'm nodding because I know what you're saying is so correct. And it's really just my execution of this. I know what is healthy and similar to my own diet and health. I know what I should do. Gosh, it's so hard when schedules or other things are so demanding and I go for what's easier, convenient. And it's almost always something prepackaged or processed. That's just easier. That's no excuse. But this, if anything, this is an interview to remind me of better health habits, both for me and, and my kids. I, so these little swipes that I made, Kailash puts these in his lunchbox now. He's totally in the habit that after he eats his lunch, he grabs one of these. They're so easy because they're not going to go to the bathroom and brush and floss. But like he grabs one of these, it's super easy. He wraps around his finger and then just swipes his teeth with it. And then I have him chew on it. And when you chew on it, you clean the biting surfaces of the teeth, like the occlusal surfaces. And I've studied this. Like I haven't done a study yet. We're patenting it and everything. But if you use disclosing tablets, like what we do at the dental office, and then use these swipes, it actually removes the plaque. Obviously, I mean, just the mechanical friction, if nothing else. But I put coconut oil and hydroxyapatite in it to like be more of an antibacterial and remineralizing effect. But this is a great thing to, you know, even pretend it has no effect at all. It gets them in the habit of understanding of cleaning our teeth, kind of like a hand wipe. You know how you wipe your hands before you eat on a plane or something like that? That was why I created these. It's like a quick like hack to clean their teeth easily. And it's also a great teaching moment for them. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, we're talking about sugar earlier, and then there's that. Is it the same for your teeth in terms of impact when you eat candy or a sandwich of the impact of whatever it is, that film, that plaque that may build on your teeth? I mean, that's a great question. So it depends on like what it is. Like there's different molecular structures of different types of sugar. So like high fructose corn syrup is mostly fructose. So that's metabolized the fastest as far as like using up the sugar and having it turn into things like fatty liver disease and metabolizing in a way we don't want to metabolize and affecting your teeth in a harsher way, right? Than something like complex carbohydrates or natural sugars from fruits. So when you eat a fruit, even like cane sugar, right? It's like you think it's just pure sugar, but you're you're chewing on it and that fiber is actually cleansing your teeth while you're chewing on it. So if you think of all of the carbohydrates that have to break down into sugars, it's a lot better than like some sticky glucose fructose candy that's sticking to the teeth. So yes, but that's a great question because kids who snack a lot on pretzels and goldfish and things like that, those carbohydrates still break down into sugars and will eventually decay the teeth. But they're not as sticky as like the candy fruit snack types of sugars. 
but still if they can brush or at least drink some water or i like the swipes because at least my little one can grind on it to help clean the pits of the teeth so just anything to get those carbohydrates or sugars just off of the teeth so does kalish have the the teeth that you saw in africa in terms of like how strong they are and how protected it sounds like he is so well informed and he's only six but he sounds like he he started learning at the age of two if not earlier is his teeth like a case study of what to do well i had seen so i had extracted and seen so many kids at like three years old in the hospital under general anesthesia and it would just break my heart to take out teeth that like all of these problems that could have been prevented. Sometimes adults losing their teeth as well, like children who have grown up and they're 18 years old and we're, they're losing their front teeth from like a sugar habit or something like that. It just broke my heart. So when he was born, I was, that's when I really got serious about all my products that I was making, but it was really just for him. I was, I didn't have the intention of doing anything more with it. Taking care of dental problems. It's not only financially a huge burden, but also like emotionally, physically mm -hmm. painful. You know, I don't even like going to the dentist and I am a dentist. <laughs> yeah, just whatever we can do to prevent, our right. kids are going to have such a brighter future. I'll link your website uh, in the show notes, but you'd shown a round tin that has these thin, probably what, one and a half by three inch paper squares. And the idea is you just kind of wipe your teeth. But how did the idea of Aloha Bright come about? So you started doing this for your son, who's now six, with the intention to build something or just with the intention to help him with his teeth? Like, how did the business of it actually evolve? Okay, so when I was a teenager, I used to break out in canker sores a lot. And I realized somehow through reading that it was from the sulfates in toothpaste. So I've been making my own toothpaste since I was like a teenager because I couldn't really use store shelf bought toothpaste, right? And that was when there wasn't as much awareness of all of the like additives and things that are added to toothpaste not really good. So that's been, I've been formulating that for years. And maybe that's what started my path down like food science, I don't know. But um, even before dental school, I was really interested in natural healing and herbs, probably my mom's influence and even my dad's, you know, my dad has that like chemistry lab in our home that I'm growing up, like watching beakers and butts and burners. Mm -hmm. And my mom's like the total like natural healing, right? So having both sides of it, I think I just loved both of them and wanted to combine them. Yeah, so it started as a kid pretty much. And then how it evolved from there was these swipes like saved my life. And then like other parents started wanting them for their kids. And then one friend um, was a flight attendant and she wanted a minty version. So it'd be like brushing her teeth. Right. So I made one. And that's where the two flavors came from. So I have like the minty ones and the coconut ones. So the pets and the kids, usually like people's animals and babies, kids usually like the coconut ones. I had a friend. So then I was making toothpaste for him and started using, you know, nanohydroxyapatite. It's a bio, more biocompatible, biomimetic, meaning more analogous to your body than um, alternative to fluoride. So hydroxyapatite and fluoride work in a very similar way. They're just chemically different in their structure. Like this is the molecule. It's literally just like calcium, phosphate, oxygen, hydrogen. So these are all minerals that are already in our body. Fluoride is not in our body. There are people who hate fluoride. There are people who love fluoride. I kind of look at everything. You know, there are benefits to fluoride. It's cheap. It does work. It does form like harder enamel and remineralize teeth. But for me and my child, I wanted to use something more natural. And we had that alternative, which was the hydroxyapatite. And then the nanoparticle form, meaning a smaller particle size, it can reach even deeper into those little tubules in your teeth. So when your teeth are sensitive, it's really from exposed tubules in the teeth. It's like that second layer of the tooth. 
what is the actual, you mentioned the kind of the ingredient, but what is the material that you extract it from? So nanohydroxyapatite is just calcium, phosphate, oxygen, hydrogen. So you can, when you're doing like orthopedic surgery or oral surgery with bone, a lot of times it's bovine sources. So like from cow bone or something like that. I wanted a more um, vegetarian option. So ours is actually made in a lab. So it's calcium phosphate, you know, mixed together in suspension. But to answer your question, how did I start it? So I started diving into all the science stuff, which I had always done my whole career, nothing new. But I got more into it for him on how I can make cleaner products for him. And without all of like the glycerin, the surfactants, just all the things that you don't really need. And so then it spread to like other parents. And then I think I kind of thought like, should I start selling it? I had one friend who's like, what are you doing? You stop everything and like sell this. I go, how do I do it? So I called my friend, Chad. He has um, 808 elixirs. And I loved his drinks. I'd always see him at the Wileo market. And I called him up. I said, Chad, how do you get started like selling at the market? You know, like the farmer's market. He goes, you just make a banner and you go. I go, will you help me? Will you look at the banner? He goes, sure. So I texted him a picture of my draft. And he's like, yeah, that looks great. I go, Chad, you didn't even look at it. Like, you go, <laughs> so the next week I went to the farmer's market and all my products sold. I couldn't believe it. I was like, I like rolled up to the market, rolled my little cart down, put out my little toothpaste and my swipes. And at that point I just had those two products. My big thing was my swipes. I just, I love them so much. Yeah. And they all kept selling. So then I'd have to make more. And then, then they're all the growing pains. So like, I remember this one guy was like, do you want a partner? And maybe we can like mass manufacture, distribute. I go, okay. Like, how do you do that? He's like, well, where do you manufacture? I go, I do it in my little lab. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? You print out the stickers by yourself and put them on the tins? I go, yeah. He's like, are you crazy? <laughs> so I got it. Now there's another way to do it. But I was literally like, yeah, it was a lot of labor initially. It still is. When I got started, I wasn't prepared for anyone to really even like my product, let alone like have it grow and have to make more. When you were formulating those swipes, what were some surprises, good and bad, of creating it that you came across? Well, one was really interesting because I love that they were larger. They used to be twice the size. And I thought it was so awesome. It was so convenient. And I got all this feedback. Like, they're way too big. I go, how could you complain that they're too big? Isn't bigger better? (laughs) I eventually, like, reduced the size, cut them in half, made them a little bit thinner. But then one feedback recently was like, oh, they're a little bit thin. But I've only had one person say that out of, like, hundreds of thousands of orders. So I'm thinking I've kind of got it down. But you never know, you know. And I could always change it, too, based on feedback. So that was one thing other than that. Oh, and then some people, you know, I was trying to figure out the right ratio of coconut oil to like the material. And so I'd get reports where people say, oh, it feels like there's nothing on it feels dry. And I said it does, but I don't want them to feel really oily. So that's why I have it infused into it, but it's going to feel a little bit dry. And so then I got enough feedback like that, right? I increased the content. And then I got some feedback where it was like too much. So finding that middle ground, I think right now we're in a pretty happy middle ground where I get feedback on both sides where mm-hmm. some people say like a little much coconut oil, so other people say it's not enough. So that's how I kind of know I'm in like a pretty good sweet spot. But most people love it because they say, oh, my lips like feel moisturized. My hands like from using it feel a little moisturized. So and my child likes it the way it is. So I think I've gotten to like a good sweet right. spot. But 
through like so many iterations and my poor friends, like my focus groups where <laughs> I keep, I'm like, I'll give you free products. Just keep trying them for me. Well, so. sign me up for the product group because one, I just love the idea of it and I want to try all the things. The problem is the more you you ask people, it's like Goldilocks where it's, it's to this, it's to that and you can't please everybody. But I mean, if you and your son both love it and that's two very different demographics, then it's kind of the Hail Mary. Maybe one last question. I remember you mentioned that Four Seasons had picked up and all these other areas that were luxe and high-end they're like you know what this is a great for our clientele how do you think about what you want to build as a business do you have goals for that so i mean really my goal is for everyone to just love my product to create something that's useful and awesome and just like a rock star in the market and it can grow as big as it wants i'm happy with how it is i'm i'm happy i'm enjoying it I don't get too overwhelmed. Sometimes I get a little overwhelmed. I think, gosh, I got to slow down a bit. But I like the organic growth. You know, I've had investors come up to me at the market or cold call me or, you know, do you want a partner? Or do you want funding? I go, I don't really, because I don't want to deal with you. You know, <laughs> I want to focus on what I'm creating without pressure from you to like make more money and, you know, count all these dollars and it's not producing enough. You know, I don't really care about your feedback. Like, honestly, unless you have like constructive feedback of what can make it better or how to make people happier and not the bottom line. So my, I think right now I'm just really happy and I really love it doing like this organic growth. Mm -hmm. Like every other person's like, what's that show called? Shark what's Tank. That? Yeah, Shark Tank. So every other person tells me to go on the show and I go, what is this show? Like, I don't even have a TV, right? So I thought it was an Animal Planet show. So I go <laughs> home, I'm like, what's a Shark Tank? And my mom knows all about the show. So then one of the producer's assistants came up to me at the market and it's like, this is a great product. Like when you make your first hundred thousand, you should come talk to us. And you know, maybe one day, I don't know, maybe I'll be interested, but right now I'm really enjoying the journey. My son is very much a part of it. Like he can tell you everything about every product. Like his place map for dinner is a periodic table of elements. He knows all the elements. Like he loves the science and we're really enjoying it without the stress. And it's growing, you know, it's growing. Yeah, the Four Seasons picked it up. A lot of the stores in town picked it up. Akamai Coffee, it's been so great at the coffee shop here. So <laughs> I think it'd be so cool to get it into Starbucks and bigger places, because especially for coffee, it's so great after mm -hmm. coffee. That is amazing. Well, I'd love to start asking you some of the questions you ask everyone, starting with who or what inspires you? Because it seems like you've traveled the world and been so impacted by amazing perspectives and just worldviews. But if you can share who or what inspires you. I mean, my parents, they're amazing. Like my dad grew up studying chemistry with a candlelight, just such a simple life. And he is beyond brilliant. Like his IQ is just off the charts. And, you know, our childhood wasn't perfect, but they did the best they can. And that love for science that he gave me, I'm so grateful for. He doesn't even know. I keep crediting him. He goes, what are you talking about? Like, I haven't done anything. And then my mom, like just being very grounded, very natural healing focused, loving everybody, just inviting everybody into her home and just being so warm and loving. And she's the total risk taker. My dad is like more risk averse, but my mom was like, just do it. Just do. Yeah. Yeah, if you want to do it, just do it. I remember we were walking on the Wailea path in Wailea. I go, gosh, I wish one day I could live in one of those condos. She goes, you will. You'll, if that's what you want to do, you'll do it. Just figure it out. You'll do it. I know you can. So she's always like, yes, like just keep going. But then she does tell me sometimes to put on the brakes when something's really overwhelming or stressful. 
Like we had to let one client go that was just, you know, just not nice. They didn't treat my staff nice. And it was like one of my dream clients. And I just had to let that relationship go. And it was hard. And now I'm really at peace with it because it was just bringing so much stress that it wasn't worth it. So yeah, just my parents, they're amazing. Gosh, whenever I hear an answer like that, I strive to be a better parent so that in hopes that my children would even think of me remotely as a small percentage of the way you talk about your parents. That's such a beautiful answer. Oh, they absolutely will. Look at this amazing podcast. I love it. What have you sacrificed to get to where you are today? I mean, you're a working mom, you have a successful practice, you're an entrepreneur. We all get the same amount of time and yet somehow you're doing all the things every day. How do you do it? What have you sacrificed, if anything, in your mind? I feel like I've gotten to do it all. Like in my 20s and 30s, I got to have so much fun and travel and party and meet people from all over the world. Then in my 40s, I got to raise this awesome child and be closer to my parents as they're aging. I mean, I guess I lost some sleep when my kid was like an infant, but now I sleep great. Yeah, I don't really feel like I've had to sacrifice anything. I've worked really hard to have a really balanced life so that I enjoy what I'm doing. You know, even before he was born, I was flying to all the hospitals, working at UCSF, teaching at the hospital there and the residency students for the hospital residency. And I love that. It was so much fun. They really wanted to keep me there at one point. And they said, like, how much do you want to stay here? And I go, well, I'm sorry. I love Maui. I'm not for sale. You know, I love it here, but I also love Maui. And my that comes from my mom, too. Like, maintain that balance in life so that you're not too working too hard, not partying too hard, not, you know, just having that balance. And I made the decision to spend a lot of time here because people here have a more balanced life. And you work if you work hard on Maui, you'll do really well because you know a lot of people want to surf all day and don't want to work. <laughs> so beautiful. You're like, why do you want to sit in an office and work? I think Maui attracts people who crave that very much of a balanced lifestyle. I came from San Francisco where it was like go, 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 right. go. Like how what are you gonna do with your next how are you gonna get to your first million? And I'm like, I want to start talking at a coffee shop about what were the waves you caught this morning? Like, where did you surf? Like, you know, it's just a different conversation that you hear here. And I like it. It's a different conversation, but it's such a different perspective and it's so refreshing. And your answer, again, reminds me of what I want to modify about my lifestyle. It's the intention of the question was almost like, I'm assuming that you sacrificed something and you didn't. And it was beautiful and it's a balanced lifestyle, but also the answer that you gave was so rich. And it it's a good mirror that I have to look at be like, oh, that question is very interesting. And I loved your answer with it. But and it segues to question I ask everybody on the show about growth and failure, right? The idea of, you know, I love the show because Professor Carol Dweck at Stanford really changed my perspective on the word failure. And I ask every guest, can you share your most transformative or one of your most transformative uh, failure moments? And then it's iterated to, you know, your biggest growth moment, because inevitably, I think that with failure or struggle comes growth. I'm curious for you, was there one defining or transformative moment of struggle that led to growth? If you had one, I'm curious. I would say there were two. The one was almost failing out of MATLAB and my dreams being crushed of being a chemical engineer. I thought they were crushed. I probably could have figured out how to do it. The second one was becoming a single mother, raising a child on my own. That I was terrified. I remember telling him, I haven't had an animal. I haven't had a plant. Like I've never raised anything. I'm like, he's just been so awesome. We've done it together. 
I get along great with his dad and his wife, and we have a great relationship with my family, his family. It's like, we're all related. We're all in this together for him. I think I'm very fortunate, but that was definitely a hard moment. And I don't want to call it a failure because it was like this new life, but it was a point where a lot of things changed in my life. And some people could call it failure, like financially, because I had to pivot and recreate myself, but I wasn't scared of that. I knew I said, I can, I can recreate myself. I can do it again. I can start again. I'll figure it out. And I, I think the only thing I was scared of was keeping a baby alive. Like a human alive. <laughs> That terrified me, but I did it. My mom was amazing, helped a lot. And, and now he's so awesome. Like he helps me. So it's just been wonderful. But those are the two hardest points that I can remember. Incredible. And you have such a beautiful, positive and growth mindset that it's so inspiring to me that the way you live your life is so inspiring to me. So I know I'm so grateful for this conversation. A couple more. If you could speak to Sonia after she graduated college, what would you share with her? Oh, just say yes. Whatever it is, Yin wants to do a podcast with you. Yes. You know, you want to create something. Yes. Like just figure it out and do it. That would be just and do it now. Not like tomorrow, not in a week or a year. Like, I remember I wanted to go ride a horse through Mongolia. I went. I mean, my mom thought I was nuts. (laughs) If you want to do it, because, you know, our health, we're young, we can do it now. So, yeah, I would say just say yes. I I love it so much. told me that when I was going off on a travel as a teenager to some, I don't know which country I was going to. It's like, whatever you do, just say yes. Of course, in moderation, okay? Not right. like, does someone, do you want to do drugs? No, I'm very clean. <laughs> Not like I've never done a drug in my life. So, I yes, opposite of just say no. <laughs> There's a a wonderful woman I interviewed, Holly Mandel, who's this improv specialist. And I didn't know the ethos of improv was yes and. Were you familiar with that? I don't know, but tell me. I don't know. (laughs) It it sounded familiar to me until our interview, and she she told me that. And she goes, with improv, the philosophy is yes and, like yes, comma, and. The idea that if you're working with someone or anything, and in our skit, I pass you this glass and I drop it, you act with a yes and approach and you pick it up and you say okay and you iterate around it and the idea is there's no blame there's no bad cause or negative reaction it's just a yes and do it yes and flow like things you can't change but you can adapt and evolve with it and ever since i heard that it's similar to you it's yes and do the thing you want to do and if it is terrible or bad or whatever you'll deal with it but it was such a fluid idea then it just really stuck with me and so for those who are listening to your story and are so inspired like i am but they have a fear of things, fear of failure, fear of struggle. You don't seem to have that. Is that something, a skill or a mindset that you picked up on? So in terms of going to a different country by yourself or being a single parent by yourself or single mom, how do you address that potential fear that either you feel or a lot of other people feel if you have anything to help share and get through that? Well, I was fearful of raising that infant, I remember, but you know, I asked for support. I, I'm pretty transparent. Most people know my life story. I'm pretty open with things. And I think that's probably helped a lot. You know, my mom and I have a very open relationship. And I think being open, being open, like not, I don't care if I'm not perfect. You know, I'm always the one, like everybody thinks that everybody has this perfect marriage, but they all talk to me about their problems because I'm very <laughs> And I am obviously a single mother. So I think why we don't have to hide. Everybody has problems. Maybe you don't have to announce it on Facebook and Instagram, but you can find somebody to talk to about what you're scared of and get through that. There's always a community of support. There's like Reddit communities. There's Facebook groups. 
You can go anonymously, but I think having community and support. I just love talking to people. My mom says I could talk to a rock for hours. I like meeting people, but those people are, when I was becoming a single mother, my community was my support. That's what took away that fear because having a support system, I think is really vital. I love that. I love the advice also of being open. It's being open is could be defined as other things. And we're not talking about just social media. It's being open with a one on one conversation or a few people. But that connection, not perfection mentality is really helpful. and, And I just love that. So being open is a good one. Two more questions. Is there any content that you like, recommend, love that you would want to share? So whether it's a book, a movie, a podcast, but something that really impacted you? I'm curious if there's anything you can share. For me personally, I think the book that's impacted me the most is the Gita. I wouldn't say I'm a very religious person, but I love learning about different faiths and different discussions, different ways of really enjoying this life and doing life well. What I've really learned from that was really, it talks a lot about being able to see a rock, a piece of sand and gold as the same in value. So like more detachment to attain this state of yoga is what they call it just detachment to things and understanding that we can't take it with us. So the more that we can understand and see, see the worth of gold and sand as equal in value, same as in people value or, you know, everybody, whether they're CEO of a billion dollar company or scrubbing the toilets in your community, they have something equally important to share and they're an equally important part of our community. And so I think the Gita has really helped me and whatever text you read, it's, it's for me, like I said, it's not religious or worship based. It's a good reminder for me to stay grounded and really focus on that simplicity of life. Last question. What's next for Dr. Sonia Gupta? (laughs) What's next? I'm just solving all these puzzles and enjoying life, raising this little one the best of my ability. What do I have? I want to get in the water more. You know, I'd love to spend more time in the ocean. That's a little limited with everything I have going on. Just spend as much time in nature as I can with friends, family. Yeah, that's probably. I love it. Thank you so much for joining this podcast. I had such a, such a blast interviewing you and just having a, like a catch up conversation, I feel. And I knew in our prep call that it was going to be so delightful and positive, but I'm leaving so inspired by this conversation. So thank you. Oh, thank you again. I mean, it's an honor to be on a show that you've created because I listen to your talks and all of the women that you've interviewed are just so amazing. 